The last chapter of the book of John is our focus this morning. I know that many of you understand that John was the most loving of the disciples, at least that's what they say. He was the apostle of love, and he desired to love the Lord. I think Peter needed to be have his focus changed a little bit here in the passage. I think the 21st chapter of the book of John is important for us. We kind of understand Matthew, Mark, and Luke were the synoptic gospels. Uh, we understand that. It's just a fancy word for, I, I think it's as far as sin is concerned, that particular word um, dealing with um, together. Um, optic would be the, to see, so you see they all work together. Um, John's different than that. John was written at a later time. And uh, this particular chapter was probably the last of the of the writings of the of those four gospels, and so they were further along. If you would uh, put it that direction, the disciples knew what they were doing. There, there was a desire for them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. They had a really good vision of who Jesus was and had that desire in them. They knew that this was not the average man. This is the Messiah. God-man, and they understood that. They had him before them. He had a passion that could not be quenched. Uh, he had a, a an obsession that cannot be denied. He had a vision that would not be dimmed. He had a destination that would not be abandoned. And he had all of this. And the Lord was trying to convey this to the men and trying to allow them to have that same vision, that same passion, that same desire, that same commitment, that same dedication. And he saw that after the resurrection that there was a drifting. This particular passage in chapter 21 was actually the third time that Jesus Christ is going to be seen by the disciples and by these men. And so now they're there, and they actually behold the Messiah once again. But I think if we were to look at this particular passage, I titled it The Right Side, because of verse number 6. Look at it again, if you would. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it, talking about the net, for the multitudes of fishes. Interesting that we see that there was an abundance after they were struggling. I think in order to be able to set the course of this particular sermon, during the times of uncertainty and anxiousness, we tend to drift back to what we know to be familiar um, with rather pressing toward new ways of, of doing that which is needful. Um, sometimes we're kind of fearful of the unknown. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know how things are going to go. And sometimes maybe you've got a new job. Maybe you've got a new commitment, uh, a new, a new uh, a car, whatever. Maybe, maybe you've got a new addition to the family. Maybe you understand now at your age that there's a new chapter of things that you need to be involved in. And so sometimes we actually get fearful and we draw back because of the unknown. Let me tell you something, dear Christian. I want to encourage you today that you are already on the right side of things. 
And the passage is very clear, and maybe I'm taking it out of context, and maybe I'm actually abusing the particular word, the right side. And if I am, then you can come and talk to me about it. But I'm going to preach the message anyway, because I think it's important for you to be encouraged in this understanding that sometimes we have to press forward even when we don't know what's going to happen. The condition of his disciples is actually noted here that they were concerned because there was a difference in what they were doing. So our text gives us an account of Jesus Christ meeting his disciples after the resurrection. He told his disciples that he would go to Galilee after the resurrection. Remember, there are three places where Jesus Christ went. First was the, was the Garden of Gethsemane. He was there where he gave his will completely, not my will, but thine, O Lord. There was an incredible power that came to Jesus Christ in the garden because he was broken before the, that actually means olive press, Gethsemane. And so he was pressed down. He was, his face was in the ground and he was saying, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But he knew right then that it wasn't going to happen and that he was going to have to suffer the sin for the sin of all the world. And we know that Gethsemane was important. And then we go to the next place, which was Golgotha, where he actually felt the extreme pain. And it wasn't physical. It was that God no longer had his face toward his son. And he felt that God was forsaking him. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because of sin. And if you have any question in your mind how horrible sin is, I hope you would look back to both Gethsemane and Golgotha and remember that this is what it cost to take our sin away. It was Jesus Christ alone suffering for our sin. All of your sin and all of my sin was placed on Jesus Christ. All the way back to Adam, all the way to the last person that will be born, all their sin was placed upon Jesus Christ at Golgotha. What crushing it must have been. But he told his disciples, and he was really clear, that after the resurrection, giving them hope that he would rise again from the grave, and even though they knew it, they had forgotten. They pondered these things within his, in their minds. But in Matthew 26, 31 through 32, the Bible says, Then saith Jesus unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. If we could just for a minute think of Galilee, the most beautiful place. We see the Sea of Galilee today. The sun is probably shining upon the Sea of Galilee. And probably there are boats there and there are people there and they're enjoying it, masked or unmasked. They're enjoying it. But if we think if we would see with our eyes and behold Galilee, we would say this is actually the most beautiful place. We would understand that this is where Jesus chose to meet his disciples after the resurrection. For the disciples, someone said, they have been asked, and they asked themselves after the the, the crucifixion, now what? (laughs) Who are we and what are we to do? And I think that that particular transition caused the time where Peter would then say, I go a fishing. And really, 
let's go a fishing, where seven of the eleven would go and seek out that which they were used to, and that's fishing. They were fishermen. They weren't skilled Masters of a university, they were just simple men that Jesus Christ chose to use. Powerful understanding. But Peter said, I go a fishing, and of course, many of them, along with Peter, it began with Peter, that firm rock, if you would, the true one, remembering what happened at the high priest's house, asking himself and maybe questioning himself, am I a disciple Or am I a disregarded traitor? I don't know. So I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to resort back to what I know what to do. All seven of them were now fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Our influence on others may lead them backward instead of forward, and I hope that you would have that consciousness that Your decisions that you make, you're either helping people or you're dragging them down. With your life and with your comments and with the things that you're involved in, you're either doing one or the other. You're either going to edify or you're going to tear down, and it's up to you. And God gives us that ability and that choice. And I think with Peter, if he could change some things, he would change them. And Jesus actually, because of this, I think, goes to to, to Peter and says, wait a minute now, Peter, you're leading these guys back fishing. Do you really love me? And we know the passage where there was this understanding that Jesus Christ was questioning Peter. I love the song, Fairest Lord Jesus, Ruler of All Nature. Oh, thousand of men, the son, the... Will I cherish, thee will I honor, thou my soul's glory, joy, and crown. I would remember standing and sitting many times at the First Baptist Church Hammond in the auditorium, and in sitting I would be listening to the message, and I would just be impressed at how long we were sitting there, and it just seemed like 15 or 20 minutes, and then we were done. And we'd been there for an hour and a half. And a man would get up and speak with, an incredible amount of ability to persuade. And it's the same with men that we have today, such as David Jeremiah, Charles Stanley, John MacArthur. When you hear them on the radio and you get all done, you say, my goodness, I, I, which, I just thought it was just a few minutes, but here I was listening for 45 minutes. But I remember sitting in that auditorium and then standing at the end with, after the prayer was done. We were getting ready to go. And the choir would sing, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And as we walked out of that auditorium, we sensed a mission. I like it. I think we used to have it over the head of here as you walked out. It might have been taken down by some. But it said you're now entering the mission field. Some people have it out by their door as they leave the parking lot. You're now entering the mission field. And guess what? It's still a mission field, people. COVID or no COVID. People still need Jesus Christ. That's why I'm passionate at times. And that's why pastor doesn't make sense at times, okay? Because there's one thing I want to do with my life, and that's to glorify the God of heaven, not you. 
I want to be able to glorify him. I choose to serve him. And I will do everything I can for the master, even if I go through sleepless nights thinking about this place and desiring that we keep things going and we continue to march forward. But sometimes things seem as if they're not going really well. And I think that's the part of the the, the message, the right side, that I want to give to you. And the first point is that there is distress of fruitless work. We see it in verses 1 through 3. I think if you understand this and you look at these particular verses again, it says in verse number 2, there, there were together Simon, Peter, Thomas, and Didymus, uh, or called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. And Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. And they, 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 they say unto him, we also go with, and they went forth, and they entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught what? That's frustrating. How many of you ever gone fishing and catch anything? Some of you recently, right? It's not really that fun. You know, you say, I'm going to go fishing, and someone says, well, I'll go with you if I can catch something. I'm not going to go and just drink coffee and look out at water. I don't want to do that. I want to catch something. I'm certain that they were skilled at their trade. Do you not think that? Do you think that they know where to go in the best spots? I mean, they might have had little small jugs that were dropped in by rocks. And you take the string and you tie it so that you'll know where the rock piles are because that's where usually the fish are, so they mark the spots. And if they didn't do that, they knew exactly where to go. Certainly they had been there before. But they didn't catch anything. But we understand in this particular situation that Jesus desired to reveal himself because he came. And in verse number one, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the sea that was actually called after one of the Roman emperors, Tiberius. And if it's interesting to you and interesting to me that a lot of times we can go to this place and see it ourselves. I was recently given a small video by David Brown to see what it's like to watch those places and see those places in Israel and to be able to mark the places that Jesus was. But Jesus desired to show himself. And he desires to show himself today, right? He really does. He wants to reveal himself to you. Oh, dark heart, Jesus wants to make you bright. Open up your heart today. If you have not, he is willing to come and to lighten your way. We see fishing really was the work that was common to all of these men. We see it in verses number two, and I think that seven of them going, four of them were left, of course. One was a deceiver. But it's easy to get men to do something when they really want to do it. And I I think it's important that if you say, I'm going to do this. Now, if I was saying, I'm going to go hunting on Saturday, who wants to go with me? Guess what? I'd have a handful of men going with me. Because you like to do it. And it's easy to get you to do something you like to do. And maybe it's not so easy to go and spread the gospel as much as it would be to go into the woods and see if you can sneak up on a big buck or something. I don't know. This was the case. Men seem to desire to do that which they want to do. In fact, you will find time to do something if you like to do it. If you don't like to do it, you say, I'm kind of busy. You know what I mean? It's like there's three kinds of workers. 
For example, when an older lady asks, will you please move my piano, then they come into the home. When the piano is to be moved, there's the first kind, and they get behind, and then the other kind, they get in the front. But then there's that kind that goes and says, I got the stool. We always say, don't go near the job because they're hiring. Sometimes it just seems like you try and try in vain and nothing happens. And that was the case in this situation. And I just want to tell you that you've been there and I've been there. I was there in the last 24 hours. We were doing some work at our home and we had a section of logs between two doors, sliding glass doors. That section of logs was buckling. And it's been buckling for a while because we never put no, we didn't put any supports along. We should have done that back when we built it, but we didn't. We were kind of in a hurry and we just put those doors into the logs. And so we had to remove the windows and then we had to one by one take the logs out. We started with the second from the top, and then we took a sawzall and we were to cut through those Teflon screws. Now, when you build a log home, there's actually tongue in grooves. So those are placed into each other. And then before you place those down, there's little rubber pieces that you put in there to keep the bugs out of the home more than the air. And so you put that down upon there and it fits in pretty good. Then you take these Teflon screws, they're about that long, I'm not kind to you. Can you imagine having a screw that? long? That's a long, you use the screw sometimes and they bend, you know, but this, these were really long. They're blue. They're beautiful. I thought, that's kind of cool. It's going to hang on a wall someplace, you know. You put it down through the logs and sometimes you'll go through two, maybe even into the third log if you push hard enough into the top log and it actually locks them in. And you can put screws on on each side and one in the middle if you'd like. But we put them on the sides. And so we had to take a Sawzall and cut it. You know what a Sawzall is? It's one of those ones you can plug it in or they have now battery-operated saws that actually go in between the logs. We were able to separate them enough to get in there, okay? And then we take that blade and then we cut along there. It's just like a It's like a long saw that has a motor on it, and it goes back in and out, and so it's able to cut. Instead of using a hacksaw to cut these, we use a sawzall. (sighs) Let me tell you something, folks. Teflon screws are really hard to cut, and and we're we're seeing sparks fly. And my son, I'll tell you, you may be proud of your kids, but I'll tell you what, I just love my sons. And I remember watching him, I'm thinking, Josh, you know, it's about 10 o'clock at night, bud, and... There's people downstairs. It's getting kind of late. We're going to get this done, Dad. And we worked and we worked and we worked on just one screw. Pretty soon we, we thought, well, we would gap it a little bit, and then I'll stick, my, stick the, the hacksaw in there. And, and, and Brother Mike, you might be laughing inside because you probably know how to do this, but we couldn't get through those screws. It seemed like we were working so hard and so frustrated and not getting anywhere. And finally we would get through it. And then we know there's two more per log. And then we know that there's eight logs. You know what I mean? Just seems like frustrated. You can't get the work done. Maybe you've been there. And that's exactly how the disciples felt when it came to fishing. Because they tried everything. They tried all their techniques. They tried all the good spots. But yet, they were not successful. Why was this happening? I really believe that God is in control of everything. And he can be in control if we let him, even of the response when things go wrong. And so I see, first of all, there is a distress happening here because of the fruitless work. And maybe you feel like your life's like that. 
Maybe you felt that when you were younger, it was a little better and things were made more sense and it just seemed like God was involved. And now that you're a little older, maybe you feel at times that God has abandoned you. He has not. He has not. And I think really that no matter how old we get or how skilled we get, we always have to remember that without God, we can do absolutely nothing. And this is what Jesus was wanting to teach his disciples. But you can go ahead and go off and do your own thing. Have fun. I'm just going to cook a little fire here and start a little fire and cook a few fishes here while you're out there trying to do your own thing. You know, I thought it was interesting as we think about this because it is pretty distressful. And with all the things that we're dealing with in our world today, it is very difficult when things do not go the way we think they need to go. I was talking to some people this morning. I really feel like this is really the, the peak of the battle against the saints. There's a war against the saints, and I've seen it happen even this week. Heard some things, dealt with some things, people calling, people texting. You know, there's all kinds of spiritual warfare. So if you have had a hard week, you got some company. Remember what I say every day? Be nice to everybody because what? Everybody's having a tough time. You're not the only one. But the disciples and those that were actually following Jesus Christ were going through this difficult time of fruitlessness. And I think it's important for us to remember that when we seek the Lord, sometimes he will come, but sometimes he tests us. I don't like tests, do you? I don't like when people question me. Maybe you're different than me. Maybe you're kind all the time. But when people test me, um, I might not be the nicest person, you know? And when God tests me, it's difficult sometimes. But we learn, don't we? I hope that we would understand the importance of being what we should be, even in our old age. I was impressed with 1 Samuel chapter 12 this morning. What a beautiful passage of Scripture of a man who stood for Christ his whole life. Let me tell you something, young person. You have the opportunity to live for God your whole life. If you have not gone out and messed up yourself, God will give you this ability to be strong, and you are one of the few. Why don't you take the road less traveled and do what is right even when no one's watching? And stay pure and clean, and God will strengthen you. And you that have messed up, let me tell you something. God is a God of mercy, and his mercy surpasses the mountaintops. He'll go deeper than your problem. He is bigger than your issue, and his grace is sufficient for every one of your needs. But let me tell you something. It's all about him. And I want to give you a second thing to think about. And the second thing is the delight of fruitful obedience. Look at verse number 4. It says, but when the morning was now come, Jesus Jesus stood on the shore. We were talking about standing on the promises. That just kind of hit my mind. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And then Jesus saith unto them, children, basically sirs or boys. Uh, That's in the Greek. If you look it up, you'll see that that's what he's basically saying. Boys, have you any meat? No, it's not easy to do that, you know. 
to admit it when you're fishing and someone says, hey, catch anything? It's like, no, why? You got a problem? <laughs> Jesus saith unto them, cast them on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. And so they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. It's interesting how that we look at this and we understand that in verse number four, in our struggle to succeed, Jesus is always near waiting on the shore. I thought about that yesterday when, when they showed um, Lee and his baptism and on the film you could see him coming out of the water and he had his hands up in the air and people were uh, clapping for him and he'd come out of the water onto the shore and I was thinking about how that he's now on another shore because of trusting Jesus Christ and his feet are now touching that which is holy. No need to take his shoes off because they already were. He is there with the Lord. Pretty important for us to keep these things in mind that Jesus is always near even when we're going through troubles and when we think that we're being unsuccessful and we think that things are are going in the wrong direction. But verse number 7 says, And therefore that this disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he did cast himself into the sea. It's pretty powerful that when we go through struggles, we know that Jesus is there, and whatever we're doing, and here they were fishing, they, they didn't think that Jesus was going to be there. Sometimes we're like that. We're thinking, well, nobody else is there, so I'm just fine. Let me tell you something, Christian. Jesus is already there because he's everywhere. Isaiah 50, verse number 8 says, He is near that justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near to me. Interesting Jeremiah 23, 23 says, I am a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not afar off. I think there's a, in verse number four and verse number five, we also, in distress, our, our vision is sometimes weak. Who is that on the shore? I don't know about you, but when I'm sick and when I'm tired and when I'm not feeling the well, my vision is really, really small. You know, I'm not looking that far ahead at that time. Maybe that you're like that. I think it's important for us to understand that even in times like that, Jesus is near. Jesus enjoys questions, I think, in verse number 5, and I think it comes out really clear that he's asking a question to his disciples. Discouraged people do shy away from discourses. A lot of times they, they don't even want to be talked to. I think this was the case with the disciples. I was thinking about how that sometimes when you get sick and sometimes when I get sick and when things aren't going really well, we just don't want to be around people. By show of hands, how many people have ever came to that place? We didn't want to be around people. Be honest. You know, I'm kind of a people person. Talk to my wife, she'll tell you. And, and when I don't want to be around people, what do you do? I'm just going to go to the woods, right? I'm going fishing. I'm going somewhere where there are no people. 
You know, the other morning, uh, it was a Monday morning, early, about 4.30, I got up and got in my truck, and I was pretty excited. I was going to get to Quick Trip and get some coffee, and then I was going to go up and pick up this deer stand and be able to, to come back with it, you know, and I was just, it was way up past Green Bay, almost to Crivets, and uh, being alone in the car was kind of fun, in a way, you know, but you know what happened? I drove all the way up there and drove all the way back without even stopping once. Picked up the stand and came back, put the money under a brick. You know, marketplace is pretty good. You're keeping the money here in America, so I'm promoter of marketplace. But uh, I got back to Oshkosh and I thought, well, I probably should call the preacher in this town. I thought, nah, I just want to be alone. So I didn't. I went to Perkins, sat down all by myself, ordered the food. I had the, the worst food I've ever eaten at Perkins by myself. The fellowship wasn't too good either. And, uh, the person I was with was really angry about the food. So I ate half of it and I left a big tip and left. I, th- I thought, you know, I just I can encourage the woman, so I waited till she was gone because I didn't want to say anything to her. But maybe you've had days like that and times like that. And I wonder sometimes during times like that that we think that God's not there. Let me tell you something, friend. He is right next to you. And there's a shade upon your right side because Jesus is right there every single time, even through good times and through bad times. But discouraged people try to shy away from people. But the stranger's instruction, the significance on the right side, I thought that, why is it the right side? Now, we can say that we're on the right side. I've had people ask me saying, well, they're on the left or they're on the right. How many of you have ever heard that term before? Raise your hand. And a lot of times we're going to say, well, I, I don't know about the left or the right, but I want, to be, I want to be on the good side. I want to be on God's side. I want to do what is right before God. And I want to make sure that I'm getting what I'm doing from the right place, the right instruction. And so these men were there, and again, the Bible always refers to the right side as the good side. Let me just give you some verses to think about. Mark 16, 5 says, The entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. They were frightened. In Luke 1, 11, it says, And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. In Psalm 16, verse number 8, it says, And I have set the Lord always before thee, because he is, on, he is at the right hand, and I shall not be moved. Psalm 16, verse 11, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and in thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are the pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 110, verse number 1, The Bible says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. In Psalm 121, verse number 5, the the Bible says, The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 34, the Bible says, Who is he that condemneth? Is it Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again? And even who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. We know that Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3 says, who being the brightness of his glory, 
and hath expressed his image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Someone said this, to sit at one's right hand means to to be in a place of authority. It was a place of honor. It meant dignity and rulership. And throughout the Old Testament, there is, there, there is use of this, what are called the uh, anthropomorphism, to describe God in some function or characteristic. This is figurative language describing a certain characteristic of God. And it is describing his divine action from a human viewpoint. When we're talking about Jesus is on the right hand of the Father. I'm asking you this morning, what side are you on? Or have you even chosen a side? Remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified and how he had a person on his left and a person on his right. And the person on his left seemed to haunt him and seemed to to debauch him and, and to make fun of him and then disregard him. But the person on his right side began to answer and say, listen, be quiet. This is Jesus Christ. Lord, remember me. And the Lord said, I'll remember you. And today you should be with me in paradise. He was on the right side. I think it's important for us to remember that there is a right side and there is a wrong side. And we need to go back to those days when being on the right side meant good and being on the left side mean wrong. Now, I'm not trying to be mean today. I'm not trying to, 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 to try to politicize this. I'm trying to tell you that there is a right and wrong. And when someone says, well, I think it's right in my eyes, to say if it's not right in God's eyes, it's not right. right. It's important for us to know that there is right and wrong. The disciples were obedient here. We see that in verse number 6, because they right away went and cast their nets on the right side. Obedience always becomes fruitful. I don't care where you're at. When you obey God, God is going to give you the desires of your heart. If you delight yourself in Him, He will give you the desires of your heart. I think it's important for us to be obedient in all things. But I think it's important for us to see also in Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ brings an incredible amount of joy. Look at verse number 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loves saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he girded himself in his fisher's coat. Of course, he was not dressed completely, but he did now. He did cast himself into the sea. I think it's important for us to understand that now somebody else said, this is who will give you the hope and the help. That's Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said this concerning this particular verse. He gave us the following insight. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures following about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, and like ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by offering, by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased with just the mundane. I think it's important for us to understand that next to Jesus Christ, there is going to be pleasures and joy. Go to him today. I think it's important for us, lastly, and by the way, joy is always a byproduct of obedience. We see that in the home. The home is a lot better when children obey their mom and dad. I don't know about you, but I had a strict home growing up. It seems like people are are not really um, wanting to have strict homes today. Um, 
I want to encourage you that, that if you teach your children to obey you, they're, they're going to obey God. Not necessarily all the time, but they learn that obedience from mom and dad. I, I remember my mom made us make our bed in the mornings while it was still warm. She, she was very strict in a lot of things. But I'm telling you, it gave me a proper view of what was right and what was wrong. I think obedience is absolutely essential. Can, can I share with you that we're not teaching this today? I, 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 they, there are people out there that don't even think that a police officer should be obeyed. Yes. Now, I know that there might be some bad cops. I, I, I've never met one. Maybe you've met them. And maybe we should put something on their hat. I'm a bad cop or something. But every single police officer, I, I, officer I've ever met, every single one of them has been... To me, you know, sometimes when I look at a police officer, I think, man, there's a man of integrity, and and I better obey him. I remember when I was a little boy, and they they just put in a new sidewalk, and I wrote my name in it, you know, Dean. I thought I was supposed to do that. I don't know. But I got a ride home by the police officer, you know. But I didn't look at him as being a bad person. I looked at him as being on the street for my good and for the good of our peaceable city that we lived in. We lived in McFarland. It was like Mayberry. I told you that. Even parts of Madison was like Mayberry when I was a kid. It was a different world back then, wasn't it? 1968, 1969, 70. I remember taking walks out of our back door and walking the back roads all the way down to get my first Mountain Dew. I remember that. You had to leave the bottle there, though, so you had to drink it there. So I thought I was really cool. Skinny is, you know, I'd wear skis in the shower. I'd go right down, you know. But I, I was drinking that Mountain Dew down there on Main Street. I was like, i got to drink all of that before I can go home? I'm going to get in trouble. It's going to take a long time. I couldn't take the bottle. It was against the law, you know. This is a long time ago. And I think it's important for us to remember that when we obey the law, God is going to bless us. But this is what we need to obey right here, the word of God. And I want to encourage you today that the disciples said, okay, Lord, we're distressed. First of all, we're not sure what's going to go on in the future. We don't really have that much direction right now. The church hasn't been established quite yet, right? They're kind of confused. Think about them. And then Jesus says, I want you to throw your nets over on the right side. Come on, we've been doing this all night. But they were obedient. Sometimes we think that the the baseline things are just too childish. No, there's a geniusness about listening and obeying, even in the things that we think are mundane. They cast their their nets over, but look what takes place in verse number 8. It says, And the other disciples came, in a ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were uh, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals and fish laid there and bread. So he's already got fish on it. He's already got his breakfast cooking, right? That's what it says in verse number nine. Jesus is already cooking his breakfast, okay? Then it says, and Jesus saith in them, bring of the fishes which you have now caught. So I'll make some for you too. Jesus was ready to serve his disciples on the seashore, and he's ready to serve you if you'll come to him. 
He'll provide for you. He'll take care of you. Bring the fishes. He said, look at the Simon Peter went up and he drew the net and the land full of great fishes and 153. Pretty, pretty particular. The, the Bible's very clear here. 153 fish. I always say that a pastor could probably take care of only about 100 people. You get two pastors, we'll take care of 200 people. You get three pastors, we could take care of about 300 people. But I don't think you can take care of too many more than 153 people. Remember the shepherd with the left the, the 99 when he had 100? Remember that? I think that's really a, a good goal to be able to be helpful. And God is sending us a message here. He's saying there's 153 fish. He's a detailed person, a detailed God. It's important for us to remember that. I think, thirdly, the demonstration of faithful provision is, is mentioned in verses 8 through 14. But look at verse number 9 again. And as soon as then, as they were come to the land, they saw fire. Look at verse 10. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish where you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes, 153. And for all there was so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Of course, he already appeared twice to them already. Jesus then cometh and taketh the bread and giveth to the fishes likewise. And this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to the disciples after he was risen from the dead. I think it's interesting that God provides always for us, even more than we really need. One of, the, one of the men wrote in the commentary, I just want to read it to you, it tells a story of a rich industrialist man who was distributing, was, was uh, disturbed to find a fisherman lazily sitting next to his boat. He said, why aren't you fishing? He asked, because I have caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish? More fish than you need. And the rich man asked, what, what would I do with them? Or the, or the, 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 the rich man asked, why don't you catch more? And the poor man said, why, I don't have need of them. You could earn more money, said the rich man, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, and then you can catch even more fish. None will get away. And you can make more money so that you could actually buy your own fleet of boats. The fisherman asked, then what should I do? He said, then you could sit down and really enjoy life. And he said, well, guess what? I'm already doing that. Because a lot of times we're waiting for the next big thing. Listen to me, hungry soul. Don't go after money. Do God's will every day, and he will provide for you everything you need. I want to encourage you that God will take care of you. God's provision comes to an act of faith. They threw their nets over the side. Everyone knows where miracles come from. They come from above. And God's provision, of course, is personal, but it's purposeful. It's perpetual. God constantly gives. I love the song, Come and Dine. The master uh, is, is requesting. Listen to the words. It says, Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites his chosen people, come and dine. And with his manna, he doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet 
to sup with Jesus all the time. I can't sing the song, but you in your mind can sing it along with it. In your mind, here's the chorus, come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time, and he who fed the multitude turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. I remember of a great preacher named Curtis Hudson. And I knew he was a mailman, and then he went to be a pastor. That's what gave me hope when I left the postal service. Curtis Hudson was dying of cancer, and he was frail, already been through treatments. But he made it to the pulpit. He could sing. He had some daughters that could sing. And he chose to sing this song, one of the last songs he sang. I'll just read the words. One night... Once I drifted out to sin and had no hope nor joy within. And my soul was burdened down with pride. And then my Savior came along and showed me that I was wrong. And now I know I'm on the winning side. From the straight and narrow way was drifting every day. Out upon the waters deep and wide. But it's all over now. Glory light is on my brow. And my soul is on the winning side. And I will never have fear, for the Lord is always near. And in him so often confide, he's the keeper of my soul, since I gave him complete control, and he placed me on the winning side. I'm on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. Out in sin no more will I abide. I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. Praise the Lord, I'm on the winning side. I'm not asking you if you're on the right side or left side today, as much as I'm asking, are you on the winning side? And the disciples were on the winning side. They went from that time forth, and they were completely surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, we know where our help comes from. It comes from above. So when it comes to this understanding of the election, are you on the right side? Are you on the left side? Does that really matter? Which is the winning side? The winning side is the side that holds to this particular book. That's the winning side. The other ones are losers. These are the winners. I hope that you've turned to Christ. And if you haven't, today he awaits for you. He's already prepared a meal for you to come and sit down. That meal is explained in the first eight chapters of Proverbs. The ninth chapter, he says, I've already made everything ready. Come, sit down and enjoy some wisdom from above. Jesus Christ is that wisdom. And unless you internalize that wisdom, it's all a miss, friend. Everything is vanity unless you've internalized Jesus Christ. How can you do that? The first thing is that you admit that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Don't you be going and joining a religion. Trust Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will save you alone. He'll save you here. He'll save you in your car. He'll save you out in the woods. He'll save you. He desires to become what you need. He's opening his arms to you this morning. Come, be part of the winning side. Let him be with you on the right side. And he will provide for you that which is needed. Maybe your soul is empty this morning. He will fill it. And dear Christian, maybe you're weary with all the transitions like the disciples were. Jesus is waiting. Just come to him. And he'll provide for you direction and peace. Whatever it is you need, he'll provide. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here, you say, Pastor Howell, I'm really struggling. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. 
supposed to make some big decisions and I just really can't do it because I'm suffering through some difficulties in my spirit and my emotions. Don't take it out on others, dear friend. Take it to the Lord. The people around you are innocent. They're not to blame. If you've made bad decisions, then you're the blame for that. Satan has tempted you and you've done those things and that were wrong. Talk to God about it. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, I'm, I'm saved, but I've made some bad decisions. And take it to the Lord, dear friend. He'll give you strength, give you clarity. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ yet. I would say to you today, what are you waiting for? Trust Jesus Christ as your Savior today. Every head and every, every eye closed, if you would. Could you just lift, stand up right where you are this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Just stand right where you are. Let's have an old-fashioned invitation. And if God speak into your heart, why don't you come if you need to? This is an old-fashioned altar. You can kneel down and take care of business before you go home today. Father, I pray that you bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. stanza come you come This is uh, voting season, so make sure you register to vote. Uh, Wisconsin Council asked us, gave us a packet. I was able to hand that packet to Brother Mauricio, and he's done a great job. Uh, He's a a pretty smart individual. I'd like to see him used around here a little more, and uh, I'm encouraged by his life and his children. Um, What a blessing. And I, I just wanted to say thank you for the song this morning, Tammy and Emily. Emily turned 18. Was your birthday Thursday? Sunday. Last Sunday? So, you've been a, so you're going to be 19 pretty soon. <laughs> anyway, what a blessing you are. What a great song. What a, what a blessing. Brother Mauricio, could you come and close our service with a word of prayer today? Say something about the table back there if you could. All right, and close our service. Mike, Mike. Beloved, Jesus said in the scriptures that 
No one who was born of a woman was greater than John the Baptist. Remember that? John the Baptist was so so given to Jesus Christ, so beloved of him. He loved him so much that John the Baptist was killed for his devotion to Jesus. Do you remember that? Is that true? No, that's a lie. That's a lie. John the Baptist was killed for meddling in politics. Not because he was devoted to Jesus. For meddling in politics, for telling the king that if he changed spouses, there would be a war. And there was a war. And people died. And for his meddling in politics, he paid the ultimate price. And Jesus said he was a righteous man. It's time for righteous men to stand up and meddle in politics. Or you won't have churches in which you can have the Lord Jesus Christ exalted and prayed to as we're going to do now. Let's pray. Father, I ask you, please, to glorify yourself in this place. Glorify yourself in every person who reads the scriptures and hears your word. And Father, let us do what Peter was told to do. Feed the sheep. And then leave the ninety and nine and go and look out for those who are not following, who need you so very much. It's a risky proposition. Yes, sometimes it can be dangerous. But Father, there's only one thing we can do here, right now. And that is to tell people to follow Jesus. Because we won't get a chance to do that in heaven, because in heaven, everyone will know Jesus. Father, give us the courage, give us the strength, the boldness, the filling of the Holy Spirit, which will move us to tell men and women that Jesus Christ must be obeyed and that the gospel is to be obeyed because the love of God reaches only those who bow the knee to Jesus. Help us do that. We pray in the all-powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.